Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. Here with me today is a super-seasoned B2B marketing leader with a passion for all things digital marketing and driving unimaginable demand at high-growth SaaS companies. Her mix of creativity and innovation, coupled with her analytic ability, is unmatched, and it shows in the success of her extremely high-performing teams, where new ideas are not only welcomed, but encouraged. Please welcome today, Ase Britt, Vice President of Growth Marketing at Terminus. Ase, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? I'm ready, Jen. (laughs) Fantastic. So listen... We get pretty transparent on the show. It's an Octopus core value, but I'm going to throw you an easy one, hopefully. Uh, maybe not all journeys are easy, but I-, I was really curious just looking at your background, knowing from the brief conversations that we've had before the show, and I'm super curious, would you be able to give us a brief look at your professional journey and how you actually found yourself at Terminus today? Yeah, sure. So um, I have held a number of different positions um, at different size companies, different industries in the marketing realm. Um, I was a career changer. So I'm going to kind of probably start with my post MBA um, kind of career path just to kind of to shorten the story a little bit. Um, but I started out um, in loyalty marketing um, with Intercontinental Hotels Group, which is a large multinational hotel company. And um, I was starting out in strategic alliances, which was kind of a, a neat role that kind of spanned loyalty marketing along with more of a business development and partnership side. Um, so it allowed me really to, to build those partnerships with different types of companies and then kind of leverage them to promote um, the Intercontinental Hotels brands and, and drive um, room nights and stuff with the hotels. Um, after that, I, I relocated to the West Coast. Um, my, my husband got a job opportunity in California. So that caused me to kind of leave IHG. And while there, I actually had um, a couple of different roles. The first one with a, with a company called Teleflora. And at Teleflora, it's kind of like an FTD um, competitor of theirs. And that's where I really kind of, um, I'd say, sharpen my more direct marketing chops um, and really just, you know, doing very targeted campaigns um, with different segments. I produced my first print catalog, if you can remember those, (laughs) if anybody produces those anymore. Um, But because Teleflora is big on sends and gifting. Um, the holidays are huge. And so we actually went old school and decided let's test like an old school catalog and send to people and see if that works. And you know what? It did. So we started producing those a couple day, you know, a couple times a year for Mother's Day and then the Christmas holiday. Um, and then from there, I moved on to um, a company called business.com. And, um, and that's where I kind of started more in the internet tech side. Um, industry. And um, I managed 
all the, I was the head of marketing there um, at business.com with online marketing, marketing operations, um, things like that. So at business.com, I was there for a few years and then relocated to the East Coast, um, another move predicated by um, personal reasons. And um, I was at uh, Bloomberg. And so at Bloomberg, I ran, so now I'm into more information services, finance, um, tech. Bloomberg is heavy tech and um, managed all the online marketing um, for a division of theirs, um, part of Bloomberg Industry Group. Um, and from there, I did a stint at a company called Questex. Um, and then I went to Logi Analytics. And at Logi Analytics, um, it's an embedded business intelligence company. So SaaS, high growth company, um, and focused on demand generation and led their marketing team there. Um, and then that led me to Terminus. So I don't know if that was as brief of a path as you were hoping for, but um, but what led me there is while I was at Lodging Analytics, we were launching our first uh, account-based marketing program. Okay. So by doing that, you know, we were taking a look at vendors and Terminus was at the top of our list in terms of who we wanted to work with. And so we signed on as a customer um, with Terminus. And then about a year later, we also signed on with a company called Sixter that does email signature marketing. Um, and about a year and a half ago, Terminus actually ended up purchasing Sixter. So now Sixter is part of the Terminus family. Um, but that is what kind of led me to it. So when I saw an opportunity to join Terminus and leading their growth marketing, um, I kind of jumped all over it. So I was a big believer in the product, um, the whole go-to-market strategy of ABM. Um, I'm a firm believer in that as well. Um, so because I was already a customer of the product, I had firsthand knowledge of you know the benefits um, that it could bring. So I ended up joining Terminus about a year ago. I love it. Right. You love the technology so much you had to join. I don't think there's any <laughs> <That's right. laughs> story than that. Um, listen, what I love about your journey, it's so diverse, right? And you kind of hit all of these different, right? Loyal marketing and, and catalog work. There's all the It's so diverse. And what will, the next question I'm going to ask, I've asked so many different marketers. And I think with your background, I'm so curious to know what you're going to answer to this because I feel you've seen a lot, you've done a lot, and it's not just been digital. It's been all over the marketing uh, arena. But I'm curious mm -hmm. to know, you know, in your career today, you've been one year at Terminus. What is currently keeping you up at night professionally? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I think the uncertainty that we're kind of still facing in the market with this pandemic, we thought we had kind of you know, gotten over the hump um, when the vaccines came out. And um, we are starting to get back to events in, in a live in-person format. Mm -hmm. um, and I think just not knowing now with this Delta variant coming in, um, what's, what's kind of concerning me is what does that mean? And you know, we're going to be actually attending our first in-person event next week at B2B SMX in Boston. And I think that's going to be a great lit litmus test of seeing how comfortable people are at attending these things right now. Mm -hmm. um, because live events used to be a pretty important part of our um, demand gen awareness, go-to-market plan. And then when all that kind of shut down, I mean, a lot of companies were in this boat, right? They had to quickly pivot into finding something else to help build you know, pipeline. And because 
we are very much a multi-channel type of approach company, heavy into ABM. Um, we were able to pivot quickly and kind of reinvest our dollars into those other areas. I still think events still played a pretty important role in our um, in our marketing strategy. So I think the thing that's kind of concerning me is now with all the stuff going on is just maybe some of the uncertainty that's going to be there. So we're, you know, we're going to try it in a measured fashion, but I think we also need to have contingency plans in place that if this thing, you know, gets, you know, worse, hopefully it doesn't, but then what does that mean? And and where do we turn from there knowing that it might be another six months, you know, to a year until stuff really fully comes back. Um, so I say I think that's kind of got me a little concerned, just also because of the how recent it is. The fact that we're going to be there next week—that's <laughs> giving me up right now. <laughs> is uh, but you know, there's only so much you can control. So I also have that type of philosophy: is not to get too hung up and worried um, on stuff that you can't control. I think you just have to have to make sure you have contingency plans and you know what the potential risks are. Absolutely. And this actually leads me nicely into my next question because, you know, what I've been reading, and you can definitely keep me honest, I feel this is, you know, this is totally in your camp of marketing. Um, But I've been reading a lot of kind of, is field marketing dead? Um, Mm. And especially when it comes to ABM, I've seen kind of these uh, voices on LinkedIn, I'll call them, or maybe micro influencers suggesting that perhaps ABM is going to replace field marketing. Um, And then what do you do with your field marketers who are trained in the field and how do you transition them? So I want to pose the question and hear from you. Is field marketing dead? You know, I don't think so. I don't think it is at all. And if anything, it's becoming more important in an ABM environment um, and especially for those strategic accounts. So we actually, something I've been working on since I joined Terminus is really building out what we're calling our ABM Center of Excellence and building out a team that is dedicated to account-based marketing. And we have them organized by different segments. So we have one person who is focused on new logo acquisition, but more of that programmatic and one-to-many, one-to-few type of programs. We have another person who's also focused on new logo acquisition, but on the strategic side. And then another one, ABM manager, who's focused just on customer expansion. But where field marketing, I think, is important is that person that we have, that manager who's focused on the strategic accounts, Mm -hmm. he is so tightly aligned with the AEs that he is... that he's supporting. And they have like five big bet accounts each. And he is an ABM manager, but in a way, like with the field marketing, he's also working closely with them in terms of things that are happening in their region, making sure that when they do have those meetings and hopefully in person soon, that it's part of the whole experience of what do those meetings kind of you know look like? Because strategic accounts are high dollar, but they're longer sales cycles. They're you know, larger buying committees and things like that. So, um, you know, he gets involved also, I think, from a field marketing kind of perspective too. Um, but no, I think field marketing is, is just, it's still important and you still need to kind of drive those relationships in market. Um, not always, on a, you know, on a regional or not, sorry, a national kind of like platform, but there are certain nuances and stuff that in region that um, you need to do. And, and you can do targeting within regions too, with all the targeting, you know, capabilities that we have nowadays, like with, um, you know, with paid search and also like some of the, 
you know, audio and OTT streaming and stuff, you can really get down to certain geos and things like that. So we definitely have certain markets that are the most important to us where we see our biggest concentration of customers and prospects. Um, and we want to make sure like we're getting out there, you know, in the field one way or another. Hopefully it's going to be in person, but if not, we can still do stuff digitally to support, you know, specific regions and specific like people that are in the field. I'm really glad to hear you say that. And I'm sure any field marketer listening in today is also <laughs> glad to hear you say that because there's just so many blogs out there and analysis out there that's talking about field marketing being dead. So I'm really happy to hear you saying that you don't think it's dead and that, you know, there is definitely a way to revitalize it after, you know, all of the craziness that was 2020 and with the new Delta variant. So I'm, I'm happy to hear your optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to touch, we've been kind of throwing around the term ABM a few questions now. And I know account-based marketing isn't a new concept in B2B, and we've definitely been hearing it pop up more and more over the year of 2020 with many, I would say, of us getting more niche in our marketing and and kind of focusing in and zooming in on those uh, target accounts. Um, and, and today, right, B2B marketers, at the end of the day, we're still responsible for lead volume, right? No pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. Um, yeah. Right. We it's it's on our shoulders to make sure that there's a steady flow of leads into the funnel. So while ABM is a fantastic answer, I think, for for gaining those high quality leads, do you feel it's enough to replace the other channels we've lost, such as events or roundtables or for the time being? Is there another channel besides ABM or another strategy rather that we could also be leaning on? Yeah. So I think ABM. Um, is important. And I think from an efficiency, both from resource and dollars, um, I think it's been proven that it's definitely the way to go to, to really focus on those accounts that you care about. Um, and I think one of the benefits too, is that it really requires tight sales and marketing alignment, which I think is crucial in any kind of B2B type of environment. Um, is It's about the accounts that you want to get into and not necessarily about the in- individuals. So I think that is part of the mind shift too, mm-hmm. is leads are so contact-based. Um, so people just see them as these individuals that are doing these individual activities versus taking an account kind of perspective. Um, so, you know, we have a heavy ABM program. Um, like I mentioned, we have three dedicated people that are focused on ABM and it is, you know, core to our business and our marketing. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we're also not doing demand programs. Um, we are still doing, we're still out there doing advertising and dedicated email sends and we're doing webinars and things like that because you still need to build awareness. You still need to build engagement. Um, everybody wants to drive inbound quality traffic to their site and convert them. Um, but I think the difference is focusing really on the accounts and not necessarily the individual leads. And that's kind of the approach that, that we take mm-hmm. is making sure that we're attra- attracting the right accounts. And even though you may get an individual that comes and requests a demo, um, after that, it's like, okay, but who else is maybe in the buying committee? Who else do we kind of need to kind of get involved in this process? And it's not just that one person. Um, so I think part of it is this mind shift of moving more from a leads to a, an account kind of approach. Yep. But that doesn't mean it's 100% ABM all the time. 
Um, I think so for some companies, 100% ABM works. If you have a very specific product that feeds into a very specific like target audience, then you know who you want. You know who buys from you. And there's certain industries that are definitely like that, especially manufacturing, yeah. that they have a, a top you know, 200 accounts list and that's who they focus on. Or if um, customer expansion is the core to your revenue. And you have some companies like that too, that 80, 90% of their revenue comes from the current customer base. That ABM is definitely, you can rely on that 100%. But for some of us that have like this, this straddle, um, yeah, it's you can't stop doing your demand um, programs because especially if you have a larger addressable market, you're not going to be able to cover everybody through ABM because the point of ABM is focusing on the top accounts and really kind of, um, getting into them with a multi-channel, multi-threaded approach. Um, so I think there's a place for both. I think the mind shift, if you can make it within your company, is to move away from that individual contact lead into more of an account. Like, is this a good account? And yes, we're getting some engagement from that account, from an inbound. How do we kind of get more people engaged so we can convert them? I like that. You know, at Octopus, we talk a lot about mindset, skill set, and tool set. Um, in, ver- in various uh, con- con- kind of conversations. And I think what I love how you're calling out the mindset, right? You, you can use whatever tool set, have a great skill set, but if you don't have the right mindset, you're not going anywhere. And I think that is, I think we've learned that <laughs> this past mm-hmm. year and beyond, but I think it's so important to be putting that into practice. And, you know, something that I think about from that and, and kind of taking that question to the next level so, you know, you mentioned that next week you're heading to Boston and hopefully it will be a great event and still have some great ROI off of events. But as we all know, listening in, you know, you have this Delta variant. We don't know where the world is going to stand in the next, you know, month, uh, five months to a year. And I would love to hear kind of as as VP marketing of, uh, of growth marketing and kind of looking at your vision, if you're looking out, you know, how are you planning, you know, for the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years? in terms of creating or, you know, building some sort of agenda for live events versus virtual events? And how are you playing those deck of cards? Yeah, I mean, you definitely, we're having a mix. So I'll say there's definitely a mix between um, doing your traditional webinars, um, virtual events, and then live events. So we are dipping our toe in the water with the live events coming this fall and have signed up for some. Um, and we'll see how that you know plays out. Um, we're eager to get out there and meet with our prospects and customers. I think there's definitely an appetite for it, but we have to do it obviously in the safe way. Um, but I think with the virtual events, if anything that the pandemic showed us was um, there's a market for virtual events. Like when you see some of the numbers of people who attend and were willing to kind of um, participate in virtual events, I think it, it surprised a lot of people. Yeah. Um, it does have some advantages in terms of it breaks down, you know, barriers of access. Um, even, you, you know, we have wider time zones. People don't have to travel. They're more apt to sign up. Um, but I think the also thing we learned is as time went on, and the engagement also started to decline where people would pop in, they pop out. The Q&As weren't quite as robust is what I found because I've been on a few virtual events and speaking sessions. Um, is are people really listening? Are they listening? <laughs> are, they, are they like engaged? We are seeing kind of the same thing. We, we actually, so we started putting games in our webinars to keep people engaged. Uh-huh throughout, but similar to what you're saying. And we've actually, before the pandemic, we never had like this on-demand 
um, if you will, kind of version of what we did. We kind of had everything unlisted or, you know, you had to, it was gated. And now we just have kind of this whole on-demand section of, you know, content and webinars and driving, you know, brand awareness. And I'm curious to know, have you seen that same kind of, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, I remember we did some webinars and there was like 500 plus registrants. We're like, wow, we've broken the <laughs> webinar cold. Yeah. Our code, and then as it kind of dwindled, but we've seen our on-demand go up. Are you guys finding the same thing at Terminus, or is it kind? Of, it's still balanced. Yeah, I say it's more about ba- it's still balanced, um, but we're definitely seeing our people who are registering for our webinars increase, like over yeah. the, over the past year, that people are um, getting more comfortable with just I think consuming content in, in that way. Um, the other thing we did is we did, held our own virtual event in May. That we did it in conjunction with um, Convince and Convert, um, Jay Bear's um, organization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. But we knew if we were going to do it, it had to be different. Like it had to be a topic that was different. And it was all about breaking things, like kind of break out of the mold of your traditional marketing, um, think differently. And it was a half day event. Uh, we had a bunch of different marketing leaders and influencers that um, participated, but each segment was only about eight minutes long. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was short, not like you're sitting through a 20, 30 minute you know, webinar, yeah. no PowerPoint, PowerPoint presentation. So super dynamic, short sessions, topics, and we gamified it a bit, like you said, where um, the viewers could also vote on which ones were their favorite. Oh, wow. And whichever one was their favorite session, we made a, a donation to their charitable cause. So each speaker had a charity that they had selected and that wow. they would say, this, I'm representing this charity. This is why. Um, so you would vote. And then whoever had the most votes, we donated, I think it was like $10,000 to that um, charity. That's amazing. So, Are you- do you have any other virtual events in similar format coming up that we could register for? That sounds <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we have any coming up like right now, but it was such a big hit and it kind of surpassed like our goal that we set for registrations. But the engagement was great because people were talking on there. And I think the fact that um, the content was different, it was highly produced. I was so impressed with... Um, like the video, I think that's also changed. Mm. Like the quality of video production that people are putting into these things um, with the graphics and sound effects, like all this kind of stuff. It was highly produced for each of the um, speakers. And the fact that it was eight, I mean, who, who, who doesn't have eight minutes like to listen to one? Like you don't have to stay for all, but you could watch some. And I love that um, it's eight minutes. I have to, like, right, it's like not 10 minutes because 10 minutes is a little <laughs> too long and it's not five yeah. minutes because that's too short. Like eight minutes seems perfect. <laughs> right, right. So I think virtual events in that respect, if you do them a little bit differently, then I think you'll see people attend and and there's an appetite, you know, for that. So moving forward, I think there's a place for both um, virtual and live events. Um, But I think once it's safe to go back, I think I I just see it in personal travel. I don't know if you've done any personal travel, but I mean, places are packed right now. Like there is definitely this pent up like demand for people to kind of get out. Yeah. Um, Now business, we'll have to see how that is from a business perspective, if they're willing to do that or their companies are willing to send them or not. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we'll see over the next few months. Yeah, we'll, we'll um, But once that's, yeah, yeah. But I think there's, I think there's a place for both um, moving forward. 
I like, I, I love your idea about the virtual event. Um, and I, listen, I, have, I would love to keep asking you and picking your brain um, for eternity. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're brilliant. Um, oh, for the sake of the podcast, I have two more questions for you. So, you know, you mentioned with Jay Bauer and I know you, your event had influencers. So that leads me to believe that you're keeping up with influencers in the field. And I'd love to know, like, as a marketer, as a very seasoned B2B marketer, who are you subscribed to? Where do you stay updated in our industry? Demand gen, growth marketing. Um, are there any books that you're reading that you think anyone in our field should definitely put on their number one, you know, read this book right now list? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I get my information from multiple, you know, sources. I have some that are more like uh, a general business or, or marketing, like you know, subscribe to the digital edition of the Wall Street Journal and and look at that stuff for general business stuff on their marketing section. Also, um, Forbes CMO newsletter is a good one too um, that I subscribe to. Also, eMarketer is really great for data and looking at trends um, that are happening. And I often look at that, especially for like digital channels and things like that of how uh, which digital channels, you know, are spiking or declining um, that people are seeing new, you know, um, new successes with. Um, and then also Marketing Brew is another oh, one. I don't know if you've heard of the Marketing Brew newsletter. Coffee, what is that? Coffee Morning Brew? Is it the same? Yes. Morning so brew? it's the same people that bring Morning Brew. They do a marketing version that's like three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and I like those because it's kind of like the hustle or the skim, you know, it has like that personality first person kind of point of view. Um, so it's kind of refreshing to read, but they do a marketing version called marketing brew. So subscribe to that one, um, as well. But I gotta say the place where I'm actually getting a lot of benefit from are in a lot of these communities, um, that have kind of been formed. Um, there's one called. Yeah, there's their organizations. Some some you have to pay for, some you don't. Um, but like women in re- revenue, oh, is one. Okay. So, <laughs> so I would probably like um, what's uh, Hannah Jakover, Hannah Jakover. She was a uh-huh. of ours, and she was talking about that, um, but that uh, um, community as well. Yeah, so it's all you know. It's it's women that are in any kind of revenue function. So you have people from. Marketing, of course, sales, revenue operations. Um, so that's a great community, a Slack community. Um, I recently joined Pavilion, which was formerly Revenue Collective. Okay. Um, and what I like about those communities, it's, it's peers. You kind of feel like it's in a safe environment. People go there a lot for just advice and guidance and recommendations like for vendors. I know oftentimes like you have a project that starts and you just need help in a certain area. It's like, hey, does anybody have any recommendations for, yeah, who you've worked with in the past? Also marketing technology um, of stuff that you want to check out. And what I really like about it is um, there's a lot of give and take and there's a lot of support. And so the only way those communities work is if people are willing to share as much as they ask. And um, and I find that those are, have been really good resources for me whenever I just want it, like a sounding board or want to get some information. Um, and they also share a lot of templates too. Like if there's something that you're trying to do from a project standpoint and you're like, has anybody ever created a little bit? And they're just like, yeah, here. And it just saves like, there hours. you go. Save, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they've already done it and it's already worked for them. Um, 
so I, I'm finding a lot of um, help or just being in these you know different communities. I love that. I really do. And I think I couldn't agree with you more. What I find interesting, and I've had some conversations about this, is that a lot of professionals that I've been speaking with, interviewing, they've shared that, you know, LinkedIn's a great place to be to be a thought leader, to share information. And I know that, that at one point, right, there were LinkedIn groups, and I think LinkedIn had tried very hard to build those communities. But what I yeah. found interesting is some people were giving me feedback that they didn't feel that they could be authentically themselves on LinkedIn because that was their professional persona. That's where they go to find a job or that's, you know, they want to be perceived as professional or intelligent or whatever the professional kind of uh, persona they're building, which I I agree with. Um, But they were afraid almost to ask those types of questions that you're finding much more comfort asking in those communities, like asking for a template, right? You wouldn't necessarily crowdsource on your LinkedIn. Hey, mm-hmm. does anybody have a template? But perhaps you are indeed looking for that. And so I think it's really interesting how on LinkedIn, even though it's designed to be this community network, professional network for people to come together, I still think that there's kind of this stigma that, wait, LinkedIn is a little bit more for job searching. We have a persona to uphold. And the community is yeah. really the place that you can just let loose, if you will, and ask kind of those radically transparent questions or get insight without feeling judged or without feeling like you're being under a a microscope or your CEO is going to see, right? And I I appreciate those communities. Yeah, that's a great point um, because it's it's more of a a safer place, I think, like you said, where people are not, you know, afraid of maybe showing some vulnerability. Like, yeah, I I run this now, but I haven't done it before. So (laughs) does anybody have like any advice for me? And you see things like that, right? And it's like, okay, we all know that we have our own strengths and weaknesses. Um, So I think just having that self-awareness of this may be an area where I could use some of my peers' advice who may have that experience that these communities, because they're more private and there's certain channels and some are only for certain you know, groups of people. Yeah. It's a safer environment that I think you can show some of that vulnerability, but then it's just more authentic and it, it becomes, then it becomes valuable to people participating. This actually leads nicely into the last question that I have for you. So failure, right? It's an inevitable part of success. We've all been there. We've all, you know, poured our blood, sweat, and tears into perhaps a campaign or a program and watched it fall on its face or perhaps, you know, created something that never saw the light of day. And I was wondering if you might be able to share a time in your career when you thought you had failed in the moment, but in actuality, it actually helped you get where you are today and it wasn't a failure at all or a lesson that you've learned from it. Yeah, um, I'm probably going to take this back again to <laughs> account-based marketing because I think that was a good one. Um, so when I was with Lodging Analytics and we kicked off our first, you know, um, our account-based marketing kind of go-to-market strategy, um, we put a lot of time and effort into it and we were working closely with sales and our account development reps reported into sales um, at the time. So you, you have this shift often, especially in SaaS companies, where that business development, sales development team, like 50% of the time they port to sales, 50% to marketing. But here we were working with, they were in sales. And um, we had a great playbook and all this kind of stuff. But um, as we kind of kicked it off and we started, we thought we had this really great alignment. And we did for a while until we finally started realizing that those ADRs that were supposed to be focused like on these accounts were starting to kind of get 
pulled in other directions um, of this and of that. And it's like, okay, things are starting to kind of unravel a little bit in terms of the ABM program um, that maybe we don't have the alignment that we need. And then you have some folks from the sales leadership side who are still like, yeah, this is great. But to your point, where are leads? Where are the leads? Like we need so many more leads. And it's like, wait a minute, we thought we were, you know, aligned on we're, we're doing the ABM. And so Anyway, that program ended up kind of like fizzling out for that reason and a, and a few others. But um, but that was a lesson learned, I think, from my end is when we were embarking on something like that, when it's a whole, it's a shift in terms of like change management and it can't just be marketing doing it. It, it truly is a marketing and sales partnership and alignment that marketing could be doing all of the targeting and, the, and doing all the multi-channel marketing to these accounts to get them engaged. If sales isn't kind of aligned to following up mm. and making sure they're looking for those signals on those accounts, you know, that are showing those intent and actually pursuing them with very, very specific messaging that we've put together, like things like that, then it all can kind of fall apart. And so I think that was my big like lesson learned is just really the importance of that sales and marketing alignment when it comes to ABM. Like you, you really have to have that, I think, for it to be successful. Um, so that that's definitely was a lesson learned um, on my end. I, I like that lesson only because there's such a stigma with, you know, sales and marketing and the war between us. And I think ABM truly is the strategy that brings everybody together. But it's like, mm-hmm. is it an art or science? How, how do you do it? And then, you know, how do you roll it out? Because both teams do have you know, some, even though everybody's striving towards revenue, we all have kind of a different method to our madness to getting there. And I think it's so important to be aligned. And I know for ABM, it, it takes a lot of alignment. <laughs> uh, why, why, why does sales have to do X? Why is marketing doing Y? And then really making sure everybody is clear on why everything is happening. So, so Asse, thank you so much for joining me today, uh, for getting radically transparent. Uh, for anyone listening who might want to learn more about Terminus um, or might want to connect with you, where's the best place to continue the conversation? Um, well, you can send me a message on LinkedIn or I'm happy to kind of, you know, share my my email address or something like that. I don't know what the best way to do that um, through the program is, but I'm, I'm happy to kind of chat with anybody who just wants to talk marketing or B2B marketing or even ABM to that effect. I'm happy to do so. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, good luck at the event next week. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.